0: Hey, everybody, Justin White here, and you're about to listen to episode 26 of Power Forward. Our guest is Shah Tarani, president and CEO of Madison Mortgage Services in New York. Shah actually started his own broker shop in February, and you'll find out what it's been like opening up a business in New York City in the middle of the COVID 19 pandemic. Adversity is really nothing new for Shah. He's dealt with it and overcome it several times during his career. He'll explain why he loves a challenge and how it brings out the best in him. Shah has a background in technology and a passion for people. He'll talk about how those two things helped him become a successful mortgage broker and leader. It all comes your way right now with Shah Tarani on Power Forward. The primary purpose of this podcast series is to inform, entertain, and educate. The information, opinions and recommendations presented in this podcast series do not constitute legal or other professional advice, opinions or endorsements of any kind. This is Power Forward. All right, welcome back to Power Forward. Justin White with Mateen Cleves. Mateen, how you doing my friend? Living the dream, man. a please don't wake me up, man. Well, uh, our our guest today, uh, he was waiting for that. He actually knows I that was. Uh, by heart. He actually repeated that that signature phrase of yours, Mateen, to me on a previous conversation that we had. So uh, this should be a fun one today <laughs> with Shah Tarani. He is the president and CEO of Madison Mortgage Services out of New York. Shah, yeah. welcome to Power Forward. Uh, it's a, it's a pleasure to be here. You and Mateen, uh, you guys, I don't want to say you go back a ways, but you, you both met uh, not too far from where you are right now in New York, right? Yeah, we hung out
1: in uh, in Atlantic City with Matt, and uh, I was at the AIM conference specifically, and uh, we got an opportunity to, you know, sort of chat and have a couple of drinks and
2: uh, get to know each other a little bit. Justin, let me, let me tell you about this guy before we dive into this. <laughs> he is my kind of people, man, like. I met him. I mean, his energy, man. And you get he he had success just written all over him, man. So when I found out, you know how well he was doing, I wasn't surprised, man. Because he he's one of those people. But it's like, do they that that it factor, man? He just had it, man. I, I fell in love with him, man, from the time from the second I met him.
0: Well, I love it, Mateen, because that positive attitude that you just talked about, that it factor. Um it's it's helping big time right now, Sha, I would imagine, considering um, you know, what's going on in the world uh with COVID nineteen and you know the impact it's having on the economy, on the mortgage industry. Uh and you are right there in the middle of it. Uh just just for starters, give us a sense of how things are for you uh being in New York right now.
1: You know, it's crazy. You know, it's it's definitely crazy. Everything's shut down. I mean, so much of the country is impacted in that respect, but um, certainly here in New York, it's, it's a real challenge. It's sort of the center of what's going on. And, you know, look, New Yorkers are strong, man. We're built tough and, you know, we can get through a lot of adversity. We've, we've unfortunately had some real adversity um, between what happened in nine eleven and floods and blackouts. And we've had these experiences and we're New York strong, man. I, I know they say Boston strong all the time, but we're New York strong <laughs> here. And, you know, we're just going to fight through. We're going to follow the instructions and the guidances from the smart people out there that understand it. And you know, we'll persevere. We'll get through this, and you know, we'll use this time to to focus on what's coming. And it's all good, man. Life's good. We're blessed.
0: So I, I love that Boston strong. By the way, that's that's near and dear to my heart, being a, yeah. a Boston native. That's right, a <laughs> <the> Boston guy. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and, and let me, you know, I wanted to add, you said New York's strong and all that. But I know, um, you know, the culture you come from, but did that, was there anyone else that kind of instilled that mentality in you as a kid growing up or, you know, because you have that that positive mentality. So I know New Yorkers are strong, but like that mentality, was it someone, a family member or someone that kind of instilled that? In you?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, growing up, my my parents are really happy, positive people and you know my dad was you know my parents being immigrants and coming to this country and starting from absolutely nothing right and building a life and building a future and my dad working so hard as a physician, you know, to build his you know his practice and to make money and make sure that we all had, you know, the opportunities to to be well educated, which was a big focus for my parents, is to ensure that we were that we were very well educated and they invested a lot of time and a lot of money. Uh, and, you know, I have two older brothers and making sure that we were all, you know, given the tools that we needed to be successful. You know, for me, my dad was, was kind of my, he was my real role model. He was the guy that I admired, even though I didn't see him as, as much as a kid, cause he was always working. Um, I was always cognizant of the fact that he was out there and working hard and grinding. And, and that was my model and my mindset for how to be positive positive and be a hard worker.
0: It's really interesting that you say that Shaw, because, um, you know, my brother-in-law, uh, his parents also immigrated from Iran, and he says the same exact thing. His dad owned a restaurant when he was growing up here. Um, he was constantly at work, uh, and he really took the lessons he learned from his parents uh, and applied them to what he does now. And actually, he is now a doctor. So it doesn't seem like a coincidence. No, when you when you have parents who makes some major sacrifices uh, like, like yours certainly did to kind of just take that work ethic that you saw in them and translate it uh, into your own life.
1: Yeah, totally. And that's what we did, you know, and it's just, you know, I, I got lucky, I'm blessed. I have great parents and they instilled good values in us and, you know, taught us what's important and they didn't give us too much, you know, at a young age. It was like, okay, you want this, go out there and earn it. Uh, and that created, a I mean, I think we were just lucky and blessed to be born with a little bit of fire in the belly and hunger and ambition, but um, I think they nurtured that as well as we were growing up.
2: And, and it's a lesson in that for my parents that's listening, don't be afraid to challenge your kids. If they get a little sad, so what, man? Yeah. Big picture. Think down the road. Think how strong you make them moving forward down the road.
0: Totally. Classes is, is now officially in session with Coach Cleves over there. I love it. <laughs> totally. Well, Shaw, we, we ask everybody uh, who comes on the podcast who's in the mortgage industry this question. So we got to ask you because you know the old joke is uh, nobody goes into mortgages on purpose or nobody you know grows up saying I, yeah. I want to be a mortgage broker. So True. tell us how you got into this business. Yeah, I, I kind of just
1: fell into it to be honest. You know, I was I was in the technology business. In my early 20s, coming out of school, I actually went to school in Boston and went to Boston University, and came out of school, came back to New York. 9/11 happened, and um, I was going to go off and do some other stuff. Got into the tech business, um, started managing a lot of people, and made the decision um, to move down to Miami like five years later and get deep into into commercial real estate development. And I was converting. I was living in you know Miami, converting like really cool Art Deco buildings in South Beach to condos. They were rental buildings and we were doing massive gut renovations, making condos out of them. The boom was going on, 04, 05, 06, you know, made a lot of money, learned a lot, had a lot of fun, partied partied solid in Miami. And uh, (laughs) one one of my partners who was in the real estate deal with us, he was a big investor, was a big mortgage guy down there. And he was looking to deploy his money into good projects. He found us and so we were on the tail end of a project, it was like 06 and we could start to smell that the market was changing and that the industry was changing, you know, it was like, even in late 06 in Miami, you could feel it a little bit. By 07, you could start to see the writing on the wall before things started to, the bubble sort of burst. And um, we saw, it. we sold some of the projects midstream that we had because we were, we had personal guarantees on this stuff. We were like, let's get out now, who cares? We wound up selling a couple of those projects and literally just breaking even on them. And then like within a few months, the market imploded. So we were really lucky. I, could, I wish I could say that was all skill. Some of it was luck. Some of it was a little bit of foresight, but a lot of it was just luck that we found the buyers and we were willing to get out. And one of my partners was big in the mortgage business. He's like, you got to come take a look at this, man. You're built for it. And, uh, and I had like sort of dabbled a little bit with some mortgages and closing out some, some projects. So. I just jumped in, and once I did a couple loans, I was like, "Man, this is great! All you gotta do is talk to people and explain this stuff, and make them understand it, and give them a great deal, and and you get paid really well. And all you're doing is all you're doing is pushing paper. Really, ultimately, you're 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 setting it up. It's different than real estate, where you got to put in all this cash and buy all this material and have all this carry costs for a you know a payday that's a year, two, three years, sometimes down the road. So. As soon as I closed my like first 3 or 4 loans I was like this is the right business for me. I'm all in. How do I write 20 deals uh, you know a month by myself? And that's how it started, man. You know, just starting as an LO jumping in the game and learning how to write loans and I remember my first couple of weeks I was like literally reading Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac guidelines at night. I would go home and like read for 3 hours, 4 hours, read guideline books to try and understand more. It was cool, man. It was a crazy time too, but it was it was fun. That's how I got in.
2: Wow! So you're kind of like that that basketball player that that hit their first shot. You know? Yeah, <laughs> and then they fell in love with the game. Exactly. You, I fell in and, love with the game. Oh yeah, and you uh you talked about you know you, your love at first was technology, you know, and uh, yeah. and after that, you were you were you able to transfer that same? Oh, love? Totally. You were able to transfer that same love. To the mortgage business. Totally, totally. And, you know, it, it was like instantaneous because
1: like, you know, everyone's big challenge. Like I got a degree in finance, so I already understood complex financial instruments. Right. And then the technology, like things like DU and LP and being able to like use automated underwriting. And it was like, you know, the quality of the information you put in is the quality of information you get out when you when you run something like that. And so all of that just was already built into me because when you're in the tech world, it's all about detail and it's, you know, it's all about that fundamental understanding of how a system works. And, um, you know, a lot of that's bled over into the mortgage business and it has so much um, to do with my success is, is that skill set.
0: Sean, when you think about the business that you're in and when, you, when it boils down to it, what you're doing is help, helping people uh, achieve the dream of home ownership. Um, when you think about that and the role that you're able to play in guiding through people or guiding people through, excuse me, a process that can be pretty overwhelming, especially when you're going through it, uh, for the very first time, what does that mean to you? It's what, you
1: know, it's, what's really appealing to me truly about the business, right? Like there's, there's a lot of aspects to the business that are interesting, right? The it's challenging, um, you know, it's, it's fun. You know, there's a people aspect to it. You get paid well to do it. But for me, ultimately it was the, it was that, that I really enjoyed. I started to get really into purchase business and like helping people buy homes and helping people that didn't understand the process of buying a home and the process of how to obtain financing on that home. Uh, And being able to educate them and sort of take them through the process Uh, you know, for me, it was just, there was a lot of gratification. in it, And so that's what really sort of like, at first I got in, I jumped in, I liked it. I was like, okay, this is great. I can make some money. This is a, this will be a good living and a good lifestyle. But when then I started to realize how much impact I was having on other people's lives, uh, doing these loans. And that's when I knew it was really a long-term play for me. I knew this was my business long-term because it just, it hit so many
2: points that just
1: matched my personality.
2: So, you, you, you can make good money, which is great, yeah. but it's a win because you were able to help people along the way. Yeah. And, and I think that's important, man, because I think in life, you know, we can do things and we have to provide for ourselves and our families. But if you can find something where you can, you know, provide and make money, provide for your family and make money, but yet help people along the way, then that, that's when it becomes fun. Because I listen to Matt talk a lot, and, you know, he's having success but he always talks about how he really gets a kick out of helping people. What we're doing is helping people on a daily basis.
1: Yeah, totally. And you know, it's, and for me, it's become a lot about, now I have a large team. I mean, there's 27 people on my team. So now I get the the real, you know, um, gratitude and sort of the, the the good feeling and and the fire to wake up every morning and go to work is like, I'm helping people on my team who were not so successful in the mortgage business or didn't have the level of success um, that they do now once they join me. Right. It's it's applying all the great techniques and the things that I learned as a loan originator to their business and teaching them how to be a great mortgage loan originator, how to be a great mortgage processor. Right. And so there's so much gratification, you know, March of 2020 was a record month for us. uh, And as it was for many people in the industry. And, you know, you know, pushing that payroll out on the 15th of April uh, was really gratifying. A lot of people made some of the most money they've ever made in their lives. And like the emails and the calls, like, you know, crying and happy and just, you know, that did it for me, man. That's I know this business is for me. Um, I enjoy helping people in every aspect and in a, in a lot of ways, that's a, a hell of a lot better than money.
0: That really well said. Uh, you know, it, it is a people business. You're certainly a, a people person. Uh, and you mentioned that right now you've got 27 people on your team. Uh, you're obviously a, an independent mortgage broker. Yep. but You did not start out that way uh, in the business. Back, back in the day, you were in retail. So so tell us uh, how it all came down or how it all went down that you were a retail L.O., and that eventually made the transition over to the wholesale side.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think like just my path in the industry was interesting because when I when I came in, in like 06, 07, the brokers were, were very large, right? The market share that brokers retained in terms of um, the annual uh, origination volume that occurred nationally, um, brokers had a big presence and then 07, 08 came and that compressed very quickly. The brokers stepped out and the the banks and the independent mortgage banks and the retail institutions sort of took over um, the business and so you know I was still newer in the business. I was following that protocol and sort of working in retail and it was good i didn't I didn't bounce around much, but I had a couple good experiences. I wound up staying with one retail institution for nearly eight years. And, um, you know, at the, I got married on October 27th of 2018. Uh, I was deep into that. You know, I had been like almost there eight years. I had a great relationship. I had a good branch. My team was like 11 or 12 people at the time. We were doing good. Um, I knew I was on my way out. Um, just because that specific institution was not a great fit for me long term. And I knew it, I knew it probably a couple of years prior to that. I just wasn't sure what the right move was and going to another retail place, I just felt was like a a repeat, honestly. Um, So I started to look at the broker world and there was a lot about it that was appealing to me. Um, And I had a friend who was a broker that I had known for like 10 years that I used to send some loans that maybe our institution couldn't do, I would refer to him and say, Hey, you know, grab these loans and he would do them and fairly well. And so he had made me an offer like four months prior to my wedding, but I was like, I'm not making any moves right now. I'm getting married and boom, the the bank that I, four days after I came back from my wedding, the bank that I was working with, the retail bank that had been around like 33 years was like, Oh, we're, we're closing it down. I think they were having some challenges with the banking department or some legacy issues or something that resulted in him just making the decision to say, I'm shutting it down. And then it was like, for us, crisis mode, I think we had like 80 loans approved at the time. And um, so I called my buddy, the broker, and I was like, all right, man, we're in. And uh, like, I remember flipping my license the next day and then working like 120 hour weeks for the next month. Like I was literally going in the office, boarding the loans myself to the lender and um, I jumped into the broker world, and the first kind of lender that I used because I heard they were I would have a great experience was was UWM, and uh, and man, has my life changed since then? Right? It's you know I went from disclosing all those loans and getting same day approvals and realizing how incredible the broker side of the world is, and having the ability and the autonomy to run on your own and. Uh, be able to choose your lenders and and rank them based on service and quality and all those great variables that make being a broker amazing. So um, that was my sort of jump in. And then up until February of this year, just uh, two months ago, I got my own broker license and migrated my team over to Madison Mortgage, uh, which I had told my friend who, who was a broker before I joined him. I was like, this is my intent. I just want to be explicit. And so he was super you know, appreciative and supportive of that and helpful. And he still, still kind of helps me and looks out for me. And so that's my journey into the broker world. It's been a great one. And, you know, for the people out there that are still in retail, it's, it's time, you know, make the jump. Like my experience was so extraordinary. Like it's time, make the jump, get out of retail, get into wholesale. It's better for you. It's better for your clients. Um, it's just a strong move and you'll be happy.
2: Wow. You talk, about, and, and and let me ask you this because you know some people are they, they get freaked out about change when mm. you change. I think that's one of the scariest things for people. Um, and one thing is, in like as I'm listening to you talk, you didn't second guess yourself. You know, that's what I'm trying to tell people when you make change or when you go for something, there's no time for second guessing. And just listening to you talk, uh, it just it seems like you were all in and you didn't second guess yourself.
1: No, man. It was, you know, first I was forced into it, but I'm like kind of the personality that like, I don't go in with fear. Right. It's like, okay. You know, my mind works like a lot, like a computer. It's like, what are the parameters? What are the, what are the rules? What are the, what's the guidance? Like, oh, this is how the system works. Okay. So let's adapt our model to this system. Right. And the thing about jumping into the mortgage broker business was it's the same business. Right. It's just you just sending your loans to a different bank, right? The the process is a little bit different, right? The manner in which you're compensated is different. The structure has some variance to it, but it's not that complicated, right? And for me, I was excited about the challenge. I was like, okay, let's go. You know, new game, new chapter, new challenges. You know, I kinda thrive on that stuff. And so you know, I think, you know, for people out there who are like thinking about making the change, I tell them it's like, it's not as scary as you think, right? Because you don't really see what's on the other side. And a lot of the people that I've converted from retail to come over to the broker world, it's on the same thing. It's like, look, you know, it's only scary because you don't know what it is, but Hey, right. it's going to be a soft landing. Cause I'm here on this side and I know this game, right? So it's the same business, just a little bit different rules. And so for me, it wasn't, it wasn't scary at all. It was just, you know, just jump and figure it out as you go.
0: All right. So I got to ask you, because you said that this, this whole uh, transition happened right after you got back from your wedding. So it may not have been scary for you, but what about your new bride? (laughs) You guys get back and you say, Hey, honey, um, I got some news. Uh, you know that <laughs> bank that I work at? Yeah, it's going out of business. So I got a I got to carve a different path for myself here. She,
1: she was super cool. My wife, I'm so lucky, man. I'm, I you know, I got the best wife. She's super cool, she's super smart, and she got it, right? Yeah. She got on board too. She was like, "Okay." You know, and I was grinding and working super hard and she was kind of home alone, but she you know, I wasn't out partying, and I was sitting in the office working hard. And so she was supportive and super cool about it and um, you know, I couldn't I couldn't have really done it without her because she was, you know, like if, it could have gone another way. Right. It's like hard. But she was in you know, she was like, great. If you think that's the best route, let's go that route. So um, it was fun It was cool. And it was it was it was challenging, but it was at the same time, like I couldn't wait to get up. Like I would sleep three, four hours and I couldn't wait to jump in the shower, get back to the office and get it again. You know, so. Go ahead. It was fun. Yeah, it was just it was a good time in my life as much as it was a crazy time in my life. It was a really good time and and you know the challenge was fun and I, also I felt really obligated to my team, right? Because it was like all these guys rolled with me, right? They knew like I was the leader. It was my job to lead them and it's like, hey, you know, big shift, big surprise, you know, they were exposed as well, right? Cuz they rely on that to make money and rely on that to be successful and so it was kind of like on me to make sure that they were okay too. Right. So that was a big motivator for me as well.
2: And you, and you keep talking about, you know, hard work. And, and, you know, I, I'm getting chill bumps because that now you're talking my language. You know, yeah. you kind of talk a little bit to it because I don't want people to think, well, I could just come over there and everything is gonna going to work and go my way. <clears throat> no, you were willing to come over and put in the work and put in the grind that it took. To make yourself successful
1: in this industry. Yeah. it's You know, look, you, you could be the smartest guy in the whole world, but if you're not willing to put in the hours and put in the work, and let's be honest, the mortgage business, it's an hours business. I tell everybody to join my team. You think this is nine to five. This is not the right business for you. If you want to work nine to five, you're not going to be successful, right? So, you know, I put in heavy hours and I don't mind it, you know, I'm. I'm a lot of nights I come home after after a long day at the office and- you know, I'll say hello to my wife and hang out with her for a couple hours, and then I'll go back on the computer and jump in, right? And so, and I'm in a building stage, right? But I'll never be on cruise control. I'll never be the guy that's not working. That's just built into me. I want to. I want to work. I want to put in the hours. And you know, there's some guys in the business who I see grind real hard and and mad at UWM is one of them, and I admire him. I have never seen anybody work the way that guy works actually. And so that kind of stuff just motivates me even more. It's like. You know, I'm working hard, but that guy's going even harder than me. So I still got some work to do.
0: You know, Sean, we know we know that you're a big we know you're a big sports fan, and it, it's pretty obvious from listening to you talk that you can uh, you can hit a curveball. Uh, and no, you <laughs> got you, you got thrown one curveball when your when your bank closed. Yep. And then just recently, within the last couple of months, you open up your own broker shop. Yep. In New York City. Yep. And then coronavirus, and then a, a, a pandemic hits. How have you adapted to the starting of your own business in the middle of everything else that has been going on?
1: It's all good. You know, the good thing about the mortgage business is, is I'm a tech guy, right? So if you've got the right technology in place, your staff can work from home, right? So I already had so much of my team work from home because like I said, it's an hours business, but that doesn't necessarily mean everybody has to be trapped in the office, right i got a lot of a lot of my loan officers and even some of my processing team they'll they'll put in hours on late at night they'll put in hours on a sunday i got i got some you know team members who are moms and single moms and they got to you know they got to be home and leave the office at a certain hour to you know take care of their kids and then they'll get on later and so we were kind of engineered to be able to be successful in a a remote model. And then we started to integrate cool tools like Zoom. I think I'm I'm at like four Zoom meetings a day now before I did zero. So, you know, we just adapted, right? You know, we made adjustments to to the way that we operated and made sure that we're still getting what we got to get done done. And it's it's, it's, it's okay. I'm, I'm looking forward to going back to the office, but it's been okay and we'll be okay.
2: And I love it. You have to be able to adapt. I mean, if you're going to have success in your life, you're going to have to adapt at some point. And I think one of the biggest problems for a lot of people was, you know, why did this COVID-19 happen? How did this COVID-19 happen? And me on the flip side of that, I wasn't putting in too much time and why and how. Okay, it's here. Now, how do we adjust? How do we continue to move forward from this point? Exactly.
1: Yeah. That's, that was the mentality. That was the focus right off the bat. How do we get there? How do we improve? How do we adapt? How do we make sure we continue to succeed? And, you know, the industry made it easy, right? That's another great thing about being a broker at right? a lot of the retail institutions are suffering immensely, right? Because it's, you only have one box that you could fit your yeah. loan into. So we had a couple of our primary lenders say, hey, we're not really okay with these loans anymore because they don't fit our parameters or our overlays anymore or our level of risk tolerance. So we said, okay, no problem. Right. And we were able to identify some other lenders that were okay with those loans. Right. And so we, we were able to make some shifts and protect our consumers and make sure that they could still close their loans. And we were fortunate. Our primary lender was was great and we have a great relationship and a great partnership with them. So we were able to still close a ton of business and um, it's been great. I can't say bad things. Like a lot of people are out there complaining and suffering and it's, you know, it's like all you got to do right now is focus on what you could control, you know, ch- go after the challenges that are imminent. Like what's there? What do you got to resolve right now? And and put in the hours and, you know, get get it done at the end of the day. You just got to get it done.
0: Hey, Shaw, what made you decide that um, now or, or at least I guess a couple of months ago was the right time? to open your own shop because, you know, there are a lot of brokers out there who are content, you know, originating loans and working for somebody else. But it seems like you already had that leadership uh, trait within you. you. You already mentioned that you were already leading people uh, at your old company. So what made you decide the timing was right to, to start your own shop, to start your own business?
1: <laughs> funny story, man. So I, my New York State Broker application was in. New York's one of the tough regulators in terms of their timing and turnaround and requirements to actually get a, a New York State broker registration. So my application was in seven or eight months, which was record time, actually. Most people take over a year to get it. Um, I was diligent, I was on top of it. I was driving home from the hospital. My wife had given birth the day prior. I was going to get the car to come back to the hospital and pick up my wife and my new son. And the deputy superintendent from the New York state banking department calls my cell phone while I'm driving home to say, Sha, great news. Um, we approved your license, you know, and this was the 23rd of January. We need you to come on February 4th to the conferral to pick up your license. Can you make that date? And you know, here I am driving home. That's like the last thing on my mind. And I'm like, (laughs) I'll be there. No problem. I'll be there. So you know, I wound up doing that and, and getting my license right away. And then it was like, hey, you know, it's, it's, it's game time. Let's go. You know, it's time to, to start, you know, making sure you get all the other licenses on and get your VA approvals and get things boarded. And, you know, it was uh, it was crazy, man. And, but at the end of the day, it worked out to be great timing. Right. It worked out to be great because, you know, had I not done that, it would have been far more challenging to do it in this environment. I sort of got ramped up and got my pipeline sort of um, migrated and all the new origination went to the new lender. So it worked out in the end, it it really did work out. And all of this craziness that's going on um, has still kind of been a little bit of a blessing. I get to spend time at home and see my son a lot more, more than I would have probably normally. And uh, at the same time, focus on business development and things are stable now. We have four state licenses, everything's in place. We can write loans. Yeah, there's a lot of overlays in the industry and, and you can't close a purchase loan in New York because it's because nobody wants, you know, three different attorneys don't want to show up. But we'll figure it out. We'll get
2: through it. And you, and you're, and you have a ton of people that you're leading right now. Um, and I love to ask leaders this question because some of them, like I have some leaders that's more hands on, some more hands off. For you, what do you think about delegating? What's your stance what's your on delegation?
1: I think it's the most, in terms of wanting to be able to scale your business, um, you have to become skillful at knowing how to delegate, right? Empower people, let them run with what they need to run with and, you know, make sure that they have the tools, in their tool bag to be successful and make sure that you stay on top of them in terms of not micromanaging, but making sure that there's a good reporting structure, making sure that they understand what their deliverables and responsibilities are, and, and they know how to come to you when they're hitting roadblocks and need help with things, right? And then you're supportive of them. So I, to answer your question, I think it's a critically important skill set to develop. Uh, I think you always, you're always working on getting better at it. Um, but you know, it's, you can't scale without it.
0: Right. Shaw, to take that question uh, that Mateen just asked you a step further, what do you think makes a great leader? You know, you, you just started your own business, but it seems like you've been leading people for years. So in your opinion, what makes a great leader?
1: I think it's, it's really just a combination of things. I think sort of first and foremost, I think being an effective communicator is critical. Um, I think being honest and transparent with people because people can read through and they can read through intent. Right. So, you know, if you, if you really are um, for me, at least in my experience and what I've learned, uh, you know, being 40 years old is like, be real with people, be invested in them, you know, care about them. And if it, it's easy, right. Cause if you really do care about them and care about their success and you're involved in their lives and making sure that they're being successful, um, then it's easy to lead them and they'll want to follow you. Right. Cause they know that you're, you're vested in them. Um, so for me, that's just kind of worked. And I I think my personality is just suited for it a little bit because I kind of, I can give a lot of love and, and be supportive and be helpful, but also be like strategically critical and constructive about like, Hey, you know, I think maybe this is the best approach um, to this and try this, you know, methodology. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's, um, it's worked for me. I'm not the greatest. I, got, I, still, I still got a long way to go. And there's a lot of people that are a lot better than me that I learn from and observe. And uh, it's a constant growing process for me. But um, that's what I think are the critical variables you need to possess uh, to even attempt to be a good leader.
2: No, I, I, I totally agree with you. And I, I think you're, you're spot on. And when you're talking about leading people, care is very important. You got to care about the people uh, you're leading. And, and another thing you hit on I think is very important is, is being honest with people. Yeah. You know, not BSing them around. If you're honest with people, man, then, then they'll respect you more. They'll trust you more. It's, you know, sometimes, you know, if a leader is telling me something, I might not want to hear it at the time, but I might need, need to hear it. So you hit on two things that I'm mm-hmm. big going on. That's caring about people, because if you care about them, you'll do the right things. But just being honest with people, I think as a leader, it builds that trust. And then if they trust you, then they'll go over and beyond uh, working with you and for you. Yeah, for sure. I agree. Yeah.
0: yeah, mm-hmm. and, and obviously you are upfront and transparent with people because you said you've had conversations with people and you're like, this is not a nine to five job. So if you think that it is, it's probably not going to be for you. And they may, maybe they don't like the answer that you give them, Shaw, but at yeah. least they can respect the fact that you are honest and upfront with them. Yeah, because at the end of the day, once you get, once somebody comes to work
1: on your team and becomes a member of your team, like there's no hiding it, right? Like, so when people walk in the door, I say, look, at the end of the day, you have to be a good fit for us, but we have to be a good fit for you, right? Mm -hmm. Like this is what it is. This is what it's going to be like to join this team, right? This is what you should expect every day. And so I feel like, you know, that's really served me well, right? Don't sugarcoat it. Tell them what it is. Let them to know what to expect, and, and ultimately, it's sink or swim. If you' got it and you're willing to do it, you'll be a good fit. And you know it, it served us well because we don't have a lot of people coming and going, which tells me I'm doing a reasonably good job of sort of giving them a roadmap for what to expect coming in, and then giving them a good environment to work in.:
0: What advice do you have for other people out there? Um, who are aspiring entrepreneurs, you know, whether it's in the mortgage business or in, in some other industry, you know, what are the things that you think it takes to, to be a successful entrepreneur?
1: You no, know, I think it, a lot of it's just about knowing yourself, right? Know yourself and know if, if being an entrepreneur is the right um, the right model for you, right? It's not for everybody, right? Owning your own business and being out there and doing your own thing, like, you know it's not suited suited for every personality, um, but you know if you're going to go out there, go all in. If you're going to do it, don't do it halfway. Go all the way. Be committed to it, right? And don't and live it and live it and be in the be in the trenches and be in the weeds and don't be afraid to do every single job. Like I can do every single job in my company right? Not because I'm so smart or so great, but because I did every single job in my company, right? <laughs> I literally went and did everything. I processed loans. I opened loans. I disclosed loans. I did underwriting. You know, I did it all. I was an LO, right? So, you know, you could speak with authority and intellect about any subject if you've become a master at that specific subject, right? And so, it's, that's my advice to entrepreneurs is, is know what you're getting into and and become a master of it. You know the ten thousand hours, the the Malcolm Gladwell, the the know your approach to what you're doing and master it.
0: Mateen, doesn't that doesn't that sound to you a lot like we've talked in the past about playing for a coach that has played the game versus a coach who hasn't played the game? It's it's got to be a different dynamic when you're playing uh, yeah. for a coach or working for a boss slash leader who's been in your shoes before, right?
2: For sure, I definitely and, and I'm big and Matt is a perfect example of that you know Matt when I talked to Matt about you know when he first got into the mortgage industry because he came from you know basketball background right. himself, and he you know he ain't started at his dad company but he started at the bottom and he just worked every job function and that makes him be able that that makes that gives him the ability to relate to everyone. he knows the challenges that people are going to so when you're leading people, If you don't know what they're going through, you might can, you know, lay the hammer down. And that might not be the time to lay the hammer down, you know. So I think knowing each job function uh, when you're leading people is very important because how can you lead someone on a job function that you don't know how to to do? do. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah. So now so now we've gotten there. I'm surprised it's taken us this long into the conversation to uh, to get into sports uh, because I know, I know, Shaw, you're a huge sports fan. You're you're there in New York. You're you're a big New York sports fan. I'm from Boston. You know, we're gonna have to, you know, agree to disagree on some of our rooting interests, yes. but, but that's okay. Yes. Um, but but as, as a sports fan, uh, it, it seems like it is just intrinsic that you you learn how to compete. You know, yeah. um, whether you've played the game or whether you're just a fan of a team, it seems like you you learn a lot about what it's like to compete. Um, when you follow sports. Uh, what lessons have you learned uh, from sports that are that are helping you or that have, have, uh, have helped you uh, in the business world?
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, team dynamics was a big part of what I learned from sports, but just the hunger to compete, it like fueled my understanding of competition and competing. And, um, you know, when I was younger, maybe I didn't have the same approach to it in terms of team dynamics. I learned a lot of that. And, and a lot of that to credit at you know, I got to credit UWM a lot. I've learned so much about team dynamics, just watching the way that that, that organization operates. Right. But um, but also like the guys that I looked up to sort of growing up were like MJ and Kobe and, and Ray Allen and, and watching those guys in their work ethic. Right. That's what stood out to me is like they had all the talent in the world right? So many of these guys and Mateen could speak to this better than anyone is all, all these guys that I'm a big NBA fan. So the guys who, who make it to the show and, and go to the NBA, it's like so many of them have so much unbelievable talent. And I think what separates like the good from the truly great is the guys that are constantly working on their craft and constantly buried in the gym and working on things. And, I I watched a lot of that and watched, uh, observed, like, what separated those guys, you know, who worked really hard at their craft. And to me, that was always like, hey, if I want to be great at mortgages, you know, I better know every guideline. I better know every loan product, every loan program. I got to know every component of title insurance, legal, closing, you know, if I know all those things, then I could bring it all together. And so that's a lot of what I learned from sports just growing up as a kid is, is, you know, is how to master your craft, and, and it's very important.
2: Whether it's sports, whether it's business, whatever it is, you have to, um, you know, work your tail off. Work, work, your, you know, learn. The more you, the harder you work. I always say, man, there's no. I don't believe in luck. It's when preparation meets opportunity, man. When right. you work hard and you prepare yourself, and these opportunities come about, you know, you're going to be successful. And that's something that I, I got a ten year old son, man, and I'm trying to get him now, you know, to, to, to to dive off into the work ethic, but compete. You know, we play one-on-one in the backyard, and I don't let him be. (laughs) I push him down, I I grab him, I hold him, and he's like, Dad, you're cheating. I'm like, I want to win. You know, you're not my son. You're my competitor. (laughs) So I'm trying to instill that in my son right now as a 10-year-old. You got to compete. You got to work hard if you want to be successful. Yeah. Let me ask a question, Mateen, because you were at Michigan
1: State and you were, you know, you guys won that championship. What was Mm -hmm. what was the experience like there? What was your day to day like, you know, playing for Izzo uh, that year Mm -hmm. specifically? And like, what was the team dynamic? What were the work schedules like? That's
2: a great question. And to be honest, that year we were so razor focused on winning the national championship, man. I think that, I mean, every guy on that team, we were so locked in. Yeah. And, you know, the year before we got to the Final Four, but that year we came back, the mission was to win a national championship. So we would pay attention to detail. Every guy tried to get better every day because we knew if, individually, if I get better individually, then it's going to help the team get better. But one, really, one thing that separated us is we held each other highly accountable. Now, when yeah. I tell you there were, Arguments and practices and mm. fights, but we held each other highly accountable. But we were one big family, man. I never took it personal yeah. and told me I got to work harder. Or uh, Coach Izzo said, You know, we have to, do-. we never took anything personal. Yeah. We were one family that believed in one goal. And every guy on that team had a role. They, when I tell you they did their role to the T every day, every day. Yep that's what separated us. But We were so focused and locked in and, and we did it together, man. That's why I, I knew we were going to win a national championship that year. I know it's easy to say 20 years later, but we, we locked in and dedicated to each other to win that championship. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's what it it's, takes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. It just goes to show you too, Mateen. I mean, it's, it's okay to set lofty goals, right? I mean, you guys probably from the start of that season, we're talking about a national championship and while some people Meeple might say, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, slow down!" You know, let's let's first win five games. Let's win ten games. Let's let's win a Big Ten championship. Uh, you guys had your eyes set on the big prize from the start, and whether it's in sports <laughs> or in business, shot it seems like it's okay to set big goals because yeah. that's that's what goals are for.
1: Yeah, totally. You know, when we when I started with. Um, you know, in the broker world and working with UWM and realizing that we could close loans so fast and efficiently, you know, for me, it was like, I was doing 15, 20 loans a month, you know, in March we closed, you know, 64. And my goal was always like, how do I get to a hundred loans a month? Right. And it's like, okay, I'm at 64 now and it's like, that's a, you know, that should be my floor, right? It's now I'm starting to think like, okay, well, if I get to 100, it won't be that hard to get to 200 or 300, right? And it's like, you're always like building your roadmap and establishing your goal and then, you know, going after another one, right? Like you hit that goal or you get close to it and you're like, hmm, let me level up the, you know, the goal and let me see, like, I could get to that next level. And to me, that's what drives me every day, right? I'm always measuring myself against myself.
2: I love that. I love that. And that that's the mentality. You mentioned Kobe. You mentioned Michael Jordan. Yeah. And I always throw Tom Brady in that conversation. Brady, that, yeah. That's the mentality that you have to have. And that's what makes guys successful. And a lot of people are afraid to set goals. And one of the things I like to say to that is your will to win must be greater than your fear of losing. No matter mm-hmm. what set to goal, if you don't reach it, self-evaluate. Not right. What 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 mistake did I make? What do I need to work harder at to reach that goal? And then you just keep it moving and having success. Think about a guy like Kobe Bryant. He scored 81 points in the game. You have to be wired a little different to do that. A lot of guys would have been satisfied with 20 points, 30, 40, 50. You just keep 81 points, you have to be wired a little different. And that's that never relax mentality that makes so many people successful. Yep.
1: I think Matt's wired that way. By the way, oh yeah, yeah, sure. he's got that. It's just built into him.
2: Yeah, he, I mean, he's that, that. You know, you talk about that work ethic. That work ethic that people need. You know, getting to work every day at four in the morning and just that drive and that ability to adapt and just keep pushing forward. Matt has had a chip on his shoulder, man. Uh, ever because he's always been smaller. You know, when you talk basketball, but yeah, that chip, man, and that that work ethic, man, has really, really, really. I've never seen. I haven't seen anybody that do it better, man. That guy there is wired a little different. Was he always a grinder, even back then in
1: college Uh in, in, in practice and in the game? He didn't get in the games that much, but was he
2: always that level of you know hard worker and grinder? Always, always. always. That, that's how I fell in love with Matt. When Matt, came, I was a sophomore, I was going into my junior year, and Matt was a freshman, and. The first day, I was the number one guard in the country in college, and this dude walks in the gym, you know, this is not that big, and he guarded me, and he competed, and, he, he, and I was like, wow, I like this guy, and it, it never stopped. You know, that's, cool. I worked 10 times harder than everybody on our team just to be on the team. Cool. But that same mentality, what he implemented in his business, and that's why he's having so much success.
0: And oh. that, and that, and that, you know, to me kind of speaks to the old saying, you know, how you do one thing is how you do everything. Right. Right. I mean, so, so Sha, when you think about that, what are the, the routines, the habits that you have, uh, on a daily basis or a weekly basis or whatever the case may be, the things that you r- really hang your hat on, uh, that, that speak volumes about the kind of person that you are and also the kind of you know, person you are, uh, in terms of your business. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, the routine's like you know I'm you know I'm not as regimented honestly as like some others like some people are like I'm up at this exact time and I'm in the office at this exact time I'm I'm a, I'm less rigid on those things but for me it's like I'm always working and I would say that I'm I'm always a late grinder too I like to be in the office late uh, New York operates a little differently a lot of people get home five o'clock five thirty and then you know as a, as an LO it, my prime time was like 530, 630, 730, you know, it, you know, and my mindset was always like, if I stay later than the next guy, you know, I'll have a higher probability of being able to get that deal. And so and it gets quieter at night. It's only until recently when I had a kid, I'm like, hmm, that early morning routine is good. But for me, it's just it's being in the office every day, be focused every day, be extremely responsive to everyone on my team, right? You always want to make sure that, that you're communicating and you're responsive and supportive of your team. So, you know, I think for me, it's just it's just show up every day and go hard every day.
2: I like that. And it's important. Do what works for you. Yeah. That's very important. yeah exactly. Some people that's got, kind of got a regimen schedule, that might work for them. It might not work for the next guy. Some people yeah. are a little more loosey-goosey with it. Or whatever it is, but I've seen people have success on every different level, and it's all kind of different ways that they've had success. So I'm glad you said that because sometimes people you have to do what's best for you. If you're not a morning person, then they, you know certain doing things in the morning it might not be for you. So I'm glad you answered that the way you did because every every. Regimen is not for every person.
1: Nah, everyone got a different style. Yeah, exactly. My style is I'll go hard and go late. I mean, don't get me wrong. I like some 5 a.m. mornings in the office, but I'm not doing that every day. Right. You know, you got, some people have the, the capacity to do it. You know, I don't. So, I'm, I'm, like I said, be honest with yourself about who you are and what you're <laughs> capable of and what works for you and what doesn't, you know.
0: Yeah, you, you talked about uh, recently becoming a new father. Uh, congratulations, by the way, on, on the birth of your son. Thank so you. in addition to, uh, to learning that sometimes the early mornings are better because, yeah, with, with a newborn, you're, you're going to be up early uh, yeah. anyway. So you might as well start working early. Uh, but what, <laughs> what other perspective has, has becoming a father given you, Shah? You know, it's interesting.
1: A lot of people ask me this question. And they're like, oh, when you become a dad, things are going to change so much and you see the world differently. I got to be honest, I still see it kind of the same way. You know, I (laughs) you know, like I'm just being real, like not a lot's changed for me. You know, I'm still really full. You know, look, I love him and I want him to have a great life and I want to give him a roadmap. But I kind of like want that for everybody that's in my life that's sort of counting on me. Right. My whole team, like I want them, you know, you know, to to really be successful and I'm vested in them. And and yeah, of course, I mean, being a dad's amazing, you know, being responsible for somebody is amazing. And I'm fortunate that, you know, I've made money for a long time and I've invested it well and been careful to be able to provide for somebody. Right. That's a a certain component of it. But I also want to build my business in a way. What I think what the fundamental difference for me is I want to build my business in a way where I don't need to be there 24 seven and be involved in everything. And I think that's what the focus has become for me is as I scale, how do I hire and empower the right people and then deploy the type of technology um, to give us the capacity to not have to, everyone not have to grind quite as hard uh, so that I could be more present in my son's life. You know, I want, I want to be the dad that's at every game. You know, I want to be the dad that's present uh, you know going to those parent-teacher conferences and so that's the real shift for me it doesn't feel fundamentally I just want to be able to be more time efficient so I can spend more time with him
2: mm. some, some tells me uh, you won't be the guy you won't be the, the quiet dad at the game nah
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> definitely not I'll be I'll be the
1: one hooting and hollering at the refs and the coaches and will be the other parents too but that's okay <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, but what you just said kind of speaks to your previous point about a roadmap, and you you seem like you have a roadmap for what you want the future of your business to look like, and it's not just about I do uh, business; it's about your your entire life. You kind of uh, have it planned out. What you see uh, as as your goals for the future?
1: Yeah, you know, like so, you know, one of our Q four goals for twenty twenty is the deployment of Salesforce uh, into our organization, which is it's a big step and it's a big investment. But, like, I'm thinking about, like, how am I going to write 250 loans a month in 2021 and 2022 and do that without killing myself and without my team killing themselves? And we've got to deploy technology, right? You've got you to gotta apply all those advances to be able to be more efficient. And there's a, lot of, there's a lot of great models out there, right? There's so many great companies that have scaled rapidly through the use of good process and good technology. and. That's really where my focus lies i'm I'm less focused on like trying to be in the weeds of originating loans now and more focused on how do I lead you know the team and lead the ship uh, down a road that's you know separates us and builds you know a sustainable competitive advantage for us as a broker long term in the new york market
0: really interesting, really interesting stuff yeah. uh, sp- speaking of the new york market um, you, you know obviously you're you're, you're home like everybody else right now. Um, but, but just your attitude and your positivity, um, you know, it just seems like it rubs off on, on people. It certainly is rubbing off on me just listening to you talk. But, um, have, have you had, uh, experiences, um, with people in your market during this time where obviously people are going through a lot, um, where your positivity really has been a breath of fresh air? And if so, uh, how much does that mean to you to be able to kind of lift somebody up at a time when so many people out there really need that?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think like, you know, you know, I like to think so. I mean, I've certainly got some of that feedback from a lot of my team, but it's like, you know, part of going to the to the discussion about leadership is, and mindset is like, look, everyone's scared. Everyone's fearing what's going on. The industry, people are like, oh my God, everything's changing in the industry. It's like, okay, relax. Here's what's going on, right? Communicate, give them information. This is what you can expect. This is what's coming. And I got to give a lot of credit to to AIM, which is a really great organization. That's an Anthony Casa, who's done an amazing job of helping the broker community to be informed about what's coming, right? We knew there were going to be big changes in government weeks before government lending really changed, right? And so I think that's really all what it's, I think it's about, um, you know being a support structure and being a confident person to your team so they know you got them right and they don't have to worry and we were we were quick to close by the way as well right like once we realized like I got to admit I didn't realize what this was february timeline I was like mm, is this kind of like a bad version of the flu right I didn't really understand it and the more we learned about it and the more we researched it the more we were like wow this is this is pretty serious and we need to do our part Um, to sort of make sure this thing doesn't spread. We were quick to close and go remote model, right? I think a lot of people appreciated that. So I like to think that I've contributed in a a meaningful way outside of maybe just some philanthropic stuff that I've done, but just for my team and giving them confidence and making them feel good that like, you know, Madison is strong. Things are strong. We'll be okay. We'll come out of this ahead and on top.
2: I love it, man. And great leaders... Great leaders step up when they're needed the most, just like in sports. No one remembers the guy that made a three-point shot when the team was up 20 points, you know? But people always remember the guy that hit that game winning shot. I think uh, it's very important. I, always, I tell our leaders all the time, especially going through these times, hey, man, this is where you earn your stripes. You know, this is where you really make your name, you know, when it's game on and game time. So, uh, You know, your team is very lucky because I'm sure – um, you know get a chance to interact with you and see you every day and know that the toughness that their leader has and it just trickles down amongst the team members
0: thanks man great stuff hey Sean this has been really fun really appreciate yeah. you taking the time for us uh, it's been great great chatting with you and, and getting to know more about your story we obviously wish you uh, continued success and stay uh, stay safe stay healthy and uh, we know that uh, you know you'll be uh, you'll be a positive force you uh, in the, uh, the days and weeks to come. So thanks again. Thanks, man. It was fun. had a great time to make sure you never miss an episode of power forward, subscribe wherever you find your podcasts and leave us a review and look for another new episode coming your way two weeks from now, featuring more inspirational stories of success. I'm Justin white. We'll see you next time on power forward.